You're listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell, bringing theology to life. All right. So, obviously, it's been touched on, and Amir, you just talked about it as well. What we're watching take place right now with Russia, obviously, Bible teachers, yourself included, we believe, you know, Gog, Magog, we're seeing a lot of these prophecies, it feels like, be fulfilled before our very eyes. Now, there seems to be some, whether you want to call it confusion or misunderstanding or however you look at it, because Gog and Magog is mentioned a few different times, and and specifically it's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, and some people have questions around, is this the same event? Is this is what's being talked about, or is this something different? Or, you know, could could you expound on that for us? Yes, Yes, uh, we actually... In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, it's not Gog and Magog. It's Gog of the land of Magog. It's Gog is a title of a leader of Rosh, Meshech, and Tuval. And Ezekiel is specifically talking about a specific coalition that is coming against Israel when Israel is safe, secure, and prosperous in order to plunder and steal and take things that belongs to Israel, and it will be such a powerful coalition when it comes to, you know, how they come and what they do, that, and Israel will have no ally that will come and help it. We will just have some nice friends that will protest, you know, maybe sanctions, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I've never seen a sanction stopping a tank yet. But I do tell you that um, eventually there is no way Israel will ever be able to survive this attack. And thankfully, it's the God of Israel, not the armies of Israel, not the government of Israel that will win this war on the mountains of Israel. This is the war in Ezekiel. Now, fast forward to the end of the millennial kingdom when Satan has been released from the bottomless pit after having been there for a thousand years in Revelation 20. The Bible says that he will easily gather people from the four corners of the world to come against the beloved city and uh, the saints, basically. And that is described, as an, again, as Gog and Magog. Now, make no mistake, the Gog and Magog is a spiritual uh, description. There is a war going to happen, but the title, the name Gog and Magog in Revelation is carrying the same spirit of the one who wants to destroy the people of God and eventually will be destroyed himself. You understand? So if we get a descriptive, detailed description in Ezekiel as of a specific war, that spirit of the enemy who wants to destroy the people of God and yet eventually God will intervene and destroy it is now being repeated in a different way when now it's not Gog from the land of Magog who's coming only from the north. Now it's actually Satan himself leading his minions and his uh, followers from the four corners of the world. These are two different things. It's not the same war. And, And again, the use of the word Gog and Magog in Revelation is because it is following the same exact spirit of the war in Ezekiel 38. Is that clear? This, this is, it's not the same war. 
It's not the same war. One is going to happen soon, maybe even while we're still here. Not sure. The other one is going to happen when none of us is overweight. Um, <laughs> we're all with our glorified bodies because, hey, listen up. This is going to change. You understand that? No one can enter into the kingdom of God like this. We, so far, amen. amen. <laughs> amen. Every time my back hurts, I remind that to myself. Listen, so far we have new spirit, a new heart, we're a new creation, but there is one thing that he had not yet completed, and it's our body. And, and the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that uh, it's going to happen at the last trumpet that, that this corruptible and this flesh is going to become immortal and incorruptible. And uh, trust me, we will look so... I will barely recognize you uh, when we get to heaven. Um, <clears throat> but I can tell you one thing. During the millennial kingdom, we're with our glorified bodies. Nothing can hurt us. Nothing can kill us. Nothing can destroy us. And that's why it, the second Gog and Magog destined to fail to begin with. Because if he wants to destroy the city of the beloved and, and, and the saints, he must, he must be so desperate and so fool to know that because, because hey, we are inconvincible. Amen, amen. Hey, Pastor Mike, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, there's actually precedents for using uh, the word for a conceptual spiritual thing. We already said Tower of Babel, uh, the era was an actual city of Babylon in Iraq. Peter referred to the saints of Rome as the saints up there in Babylon. Then we have the mystery of Babylon, the great same spiritual emphasis of humanity, but just different applications. Same thing, Gog and Magog. So I don't know why people have to say, this must be that. I mean, despite the, the chronological issues there, which debunks that from the, from the outset. Mm. Would you, I mean, just in light of that, like you mentioned chronological, like, Different, different people then, different actual participants in this second Gog and Magog compared to the first? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first one is mostly the enemy, five different countries coming mostly from the north, and it's a specific one against the nation of Israel. The second one, it's from all over the world. Satan is their ruler and their leader, and it's against the saints. Not just Israel, it's us, all of us. You know, in Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile. We are the saints now. And that attack will be against the saints and the beloved city. So there's no doubt in my mind that uh, um, it's not the same war. So you mentioned Ezekiel 38 and 39. Obviously, you know, not a mathematician or anything, but comes after 38 and 39 or 40 and onward. And... Um, the question has arisen with quite a few people, actually, just around the temple, uh, third temple. And, and just in that, in light of this question, Ezekiel talks about a temple being rebuilt. Now, I guess the, some of the confusion was, is this the temple during the seven years of tribulation? Is this the millennial kingdom? What's being talked about there in Ezekiel 40 and onward? I can answer. Tommy, you want to answer that? You still have Okay. You are very British, polite. Yeah, thank you. You see, I immediately grabbed the... I'm sorry, I'm just... Right. Okay. <laughs> you will correct me, won't you? Okay. So it's very simple. 
in the Bible, we have descriptions of four different temples, apart even from the tabernacle. I'm talking about buildings. There was the first temple built by Solomon. There was the second temple that was built by Ezra and Nehemiah, the, Zerub the, the Zerubbabel return, but later on was beautified and enlarged and made bigger by Herod, and that's the temple in the time of Jesus, known as the second temple still. There's a third temple that will be the temple that the Antichrist is probably going to enter into in order to declare himself as God. That's the temple of what I call the tribulation. And there is the fourth temple that that's the one Ezekiel is describing where Christ will reign from in the millennial kingdom. Do you understand? Four different temples. The first two are in the first um, part uh, of the uh, uh, weeks of Daniel. The last two will be in the latter part. The 70th week is when the third temple is, and the millennial kingdom is when the fourth temple is. Now, if you're asking me why do we even need a temple in the millennial kingdom, it's because we're not yet there where all people are saved. You understand that? Only when the new Jerusalem will come down, everyone in the world will be believers, and there will be no more need for any temple at all. The Bible says in, 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 in the book of Revelation chapter 21, there is no need, there is no temple in the new Jerusalem, no need. And there's no need, there's no need for the sun, for the moon, for the stars, that's it. Everything is different. So I always tell flat earthers, if you have a chance at some point, it only with the new Jerusalem, you know, right now Earth is round. But what I need you to know also is that um, the temple in the Millennial Kingdom is still a building much bigger than the first two, with the sacrificial, anima, you know, uh, ceremonies. But these ceremonies are not sacrificial for the removal of sins or forgiveness of sins. You, you understand that Christ has already died and Christ came back to rule, and this is a ceremonial, symbolic, sacrificial ceremonies to remind those who are not saved yet during the millennial kingdom that a price has been paid for the removal and for the remission of sins. You understand that? But it's not the same reason for which the Jewish people require that in the first and the second temple. And uh, also remember, the first and the second temple was a place of worship of Jews only. The third temple is going to be a place of worship for Jews that will be converted into the home and the headquarters of the Antichrist. And the fourth temple will be a place of worship of all people from all over the world. The Bible says that all nations must come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles during the Millennial Kingdom. There will be so many Airlines and hotel, Messiah Airlines, you know, Messiah Airways, Jesus Airlines, you know, and there will be so many hotels in Jerusalem because look, every nation must come to visit Jerusalem. So that will be a universal, in a way, a temple that will be visited by worshipers from all over the world, not necessarily Jews. So you understand there's a big difference between the first two, the third, and the fourth one. And remember, in the millennial kingdom, there is a fourth one. But in the new Jerusalem, which is eternity, there is no more temple anymore. Anything to add, guys?
Uh, I'll add something. I just think a part of the confusion with this issue of the Ezekiel Temple is to do with the history of the church from about the third century onwards, we've been what we would call a millennial, the majority of the church, which does not believe in the future millennium with Christ ruling from Jerusalem. And therefore, therefore, when they get to these passages in Ezekiel, they just don't, the church has just not really known where to fit these in the chronological scheme because they cannot put them in the, in the coming millennium and therefore they have to try and spiritualize them away and vaguely in some way usually describe it as being fulfilled in the church in some way. However, when you read these chapters, there's just too many specific details, uh, the, the tribal allotments, the priesthood, the duties that they'll be doing in there. It's just too many specific details in order to spiritualize them and therefore I actually find Ezekiel 40 and onwards to be very strong evidence that uh, these need to be fulfilled in a coming age that we would call the messianic age. They're very strong evidence for a premillennial faith. So you should be premillennials. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, Tommy, since you were just talking there, um, you know, you mentioned today somebody had a question around just talking about the land promises you mentioned in the Old Testament, but the question was more around... Um, what about mentions of the land promises in the New Testament, the New Covenant? What, what about all that? Yeah, okay. It comes from the same issue, really. People, uh, they hear people who talking like us talk. We, we focus a lot on Israel. Um, it's often called the, the sign. You keep your eyes on Israel, as Amir was mentioning in the last session. And people get confused about that, and they want to know, well, if we should have such a focus on Israel, why do, when I read the New Testament, do I not find huge amounts of information about this, these land, the land that you're always talking about? And it's just not there in the same way. And that, this, again, confuses people. Now, the, the way I like to respond to this is just simply to say, um, we don't necessarily need to have details repeated from the Old Testament in the New to make them valid. The Old Testament is inspired, it's authoritative within its own right. When we understand the flow of chronological and redemptive history, we can easily have something that's from the Old Testament and there is a continuity that carries into the New Testament. And what we do find is that the land promises are not just um, given, they are always attached to a particular covenant. And so we, we have the Abrahamic covenant, which we find in the Old Testament, and we also find it affirmed in the New. And these are carried down. We have the Davidic covenant, where it says in Luke 1, we find in the New Testament, Jesus given the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Israel forever. So we still find this continuity between these land promises. So we shouldn't necessarily expect to have everything completely repeated in order for us to be able to accept it. This comes from the, the tendency in the Christian church to create a radical distinction between the New Testament in the Old Testament, so that we're almost reading them as two separate books, two eras of history. There is discontinuity in some areas, but there's huge amounts of continuity uh, as we see redemption unfold. And then we can get to the writings of people like the Apostle Paul, and we can see in where he says in Romans 11, and all Israel will be saved, the deliverer will come from Zion, remove ungodliness from, from Jacob. Here we have a location, Zion, we have a people, Jacob. He is clearly, and he's referencing two Old Testament passages there, that relate to the new covenant. And as Christians, we all get our spiritual blessings from the new covenant, and we, we wait until the, the fulfillment of much of the, uh, the physical promises of the new covenant that Paul obviously still thought were valid because he quoted them in his argument. And therefore, whilst we share in the spiritual blessings in many ways, Gentiles, we still look forward to the future covenant fulfillment uh, of the new covenant that includes the land promises. There's just no way to take them out of the Bible, really. So although they're not spelled out with the boundaries like we have in Genesis, um, 
the first century Jewish people would have assumed, they would have known, it was well known to them what they were talking about, and it's only us that really has this confusion. Yeah, addition, additionally, you have uh, Matthew 24, where Jesus is saying, the fig tree must come back to life. That's when you'll know that you're close to the events leading up to the second coming, which they would have understood as Jews, the tribulation period, the trouble of Jacob, and all of these events that ensued precluding the second coming of Christ is the resuscitation of the nation of Israel. The fig tree represents the national promises. That original audience would have understood that. That made sense to them. So taking that into addition to what uh, Tommy has said, that's something that you should consider. Yeah, we, I just want to say we are not destined to the wrath of God. We are not to be here during the tribulation. And the reason why I'm saying that is, uh, what's the point of the bridegroom beating up his soon-to-be wife before he takes her to be his wife? Uh, and also, if you really think about it, if you really think about it, um, <clears throat> we are not to confuse persecution that is coming from the globalization around the world with Christian persecution as much. You know, so many Christians wanted to paint COVID as anti-Christian thing. It is baloney because the COVID restriction in Saudi Arabia were not against Christians. And in Israel, they hardly touched Christians because everybody were affected by it. And, and the, the notion that it was primarily targeting Christians is wrong and it comes from this Somehow inside of us, we want to suffer for the Lord to justify our salvation or somehow to feel that we deserve what's coming next. Well, we don't deserve anything. And, and this is a free gift, okay? And, and, and God does not regret his, his gifts and his callings. And we, we have to remember that the word in Daniel for the wrath is indignation in your English Bibles. Well, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew, it's not indignation. In the Hebrew is za'am, and za'am is the word for wrath. And if, the, if, if Daniel refers to events that will happen in the latter part of the za'am, it means these are events that will happen in the latter part of still what's considered to be all the wrath of God. And therefore, all seven years, whether the last three and a half will be totally anti-Jewish or the first will be totally deceptive for the Jews, all of it, all of it is going to be the wrath of God. And when we are not destined to the wrath, it's not that we're not destined to the latter part of the wrath. We're not destined to the whole thing. And, and from the very beginning, um, Daniel, when he referred to that last week, last seven years of Israel's, uh, you know, prophetic timeline, he says that it's all about the people and the city. It's not about the church. It's about Israel. And I always tell people the tribulation is for Israel's salvation. Hosea says in chapter 5, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their offense. And in their, in their trouble, in their affliction, then they will earnestly seek me. Unfortunately, as a Jew, I'm saying that, Israel will not find any interest in Jesus, not until all other options are ruled out. 
not after all rabbinical uh, teachings are, are, are proved wrong, not after all uh, man-made defense lines are fallen. Everything is going to be gone. Their temple is going to become a house of the Antichrist. They are going to be completely... Uh, 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 Jesus said to, to Israel, when, when he is erecting that abomination of desolation, you don't even have time to go and pack. You have to run for your life because he's after you right now. That's it. He's targeting you because you know he's not the God. You know, if anything, you accepted him as some sort of a Messiah, but he's not God. And the moment he declares himself as God and you reject it, he's going to try to kill you. And, he won't. and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, folks, Israel is up for a horrific, horrific, horrific time. This is why the prophet Daniel said in chapter 12, a time, a trouble such they never had from when they became a nation. Not even the Holocaust can be compared to what Israel is going to go through. It will be, and Zechariah in chapter 13 says that two-thirds of Israel will perish. Only the last third he's going to pass through the fire He's going to purify, and there will be his. There will be a horrific, horrific time for Israel. And not because God hates the Jews. If anything, look, the Bible says that because he is the God of Israel, Jacob is not consumed. <laughs> Jacob is not consumed long ago because God is a, a loving God, and he loves his people. But eventually... It's going to take a terrible time with a terrible world events and a combination. You see, there's going to be two things in the tribulation. There's going to be wrath from God on the unjust, and there's going to be the wrath of the Antichrist on the just. Do you understand? Two different things. Can you imagine you suffer in this world from God-sent plagues? And from man or satanic persecution at the same time. So COVID is your problem right now? You kidding me? So Israel is up for a terrible time. And I, I can tell you that eventually both Jeremiah chapter 20 and Daniel chapter 12 are saying that eventually they will be saved out of it. Okay, but that again, because that trouble, that tribulation will lead to Israel's salvation. And this is where Tommy's uh, quote from Romans chapter 11 comes into Then all Israel will be saved. The only time in history of mankind when corporate decision of a nation that exists at the same moment will become a national salvation. Um, there's no other nation on planet Earth that will ever experience national salvation. But again, remember, it's the Israel of the last day of the tribulation and at the very day of the return of Jesus. Uh, because the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12, they look at him and they pierced, and they will then only cry and mourn because they will understand that's the one whom we rejected 2,000 years ago, and he is the promised Messiah. They will cry. They will not rejoice. They will cry because it will be mourning and repentance that will lead towards salvation. There is no shortcut to salvation. If repentance has to happen, and, and even for Israel. Israel does not have a separate 
uh, uh, covenant that is bypassing Jesus and is bypassing the, the need for repentance and for accepting him as Lord and Savior. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen after a very tragic seven years. Changing gears a little bit, Mike, there's been question. Um, people are hearing an acronym, and they're not totally sure what it means, but they think it's bad. Um, stay away from NAR. What, what, what is NAR? What does N-A-R stand for? So the New Apostolic Reformation puts you with the power as the spiritual practitioner to walk into any venue and you get to execute like a X-man superhero the principles and the healing power and the signs and the wonders of God. Okay, this came out of uh, the Pentecostal movement. It is, I'd say, a fringe group but it has gained a lot of popularity, especially from people that are wounded from their past or people that struggle with self-worth, and they delve into this because it puts the power in their hands. It is cult-like. It is not biblical. It is dangerous because oftentimes it can magnetize foreign spirits as well. But uh, what, what do you need to do about that? Nothing. Just walk with God. Whenever you run into somebody that's associated with NAR that wants to raise somebody from the dead in a funeral or, um, you know, heal somebody in, in a shopping mall, um, just kind of just say, you know, God bless you um, and sincerely just move on because a lot of these people are well-intentioned but just deceived. They don't know the Scriptures maybe as well as you do. That the true benchmark of spirituality isn't mastering a spiritual gift like they claim, even though it's not spiritual gifts. It's really exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit as defined by Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering. Those are the things that inevitably come out of somebody that's walking in accordance with the Spirit not all of this sensationalism, signs, wonders, healings, and all of this stuff. That stuff can be part and parcel of the believer's life, but it's submitted under the spirit of God's guidance rather than the spiritual practitioner of the actual individual. It's very distasteful when people come to me and say, I have a word from the Lord for you, Mike. Okay, let's hear it. You know, and then they'll, they'll make these predictions, and I'll say, well, it's funny that you heard that and none of the elders around me, none of my close friends, my wife hasn't heard that, my kids haven't heard that, those that I respect and spiritual mentors haven't heard that, you alone. Hmm, okay, is that how God works? Do Use your mind, okay, use your mind. Well, according to some of them, I'm one of the two witnesses. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got off the stage. I got off the stage at Jan Markel's conference and somebody ran after me. And when somebody runs after me, I, I run faster. <laughs> you don't. And uh, he, he eventually stopped me and he said that he believes that I'm one of the two witnesses. And I told him that I uh, politely disagree with him because I have no plans to be here during the tribulation. Uh, but I want, regarding NAR, NAR is a very dangerous thing that is, listen to this, all those of you who love Israel in the wrong way, believe it or not, there is a way to love Israel the wrong way. You understand that Israel is to be loved 
but not on the expense of the gospel. Do you understand that? It, you cannot promise the Jews salvation without Jesus. You cannot hide the gospel from them and expect them to do well. You cannot love them and hug them all the way to hell. You understand that? Okay, so what happened is many times those who love Israel, and again, I appreciate their love, but you can love Israel in the wrong way, as I just said. What they, they are so admiring Messianic Jews that they also almost crown them as the new apostolic um, um, generation that has the exact same authority of the apostle of the first century. I saw videos of Israeli pastors that I know that receive, listen to this, a crown from people. Literally, a ceremony where they put a crown on their head. And now they are the new apostles. And they have the same authority and the same status of the first center. Now, the Bible says that the church is built on what? On the foundation of what? The apostles and prophets. They are the foundation. They're not the top, but they are the foundation. Hello? Hello? What I'm trying to say is don't take what is the foundation and try to put it on top because then the building will fall. So there is no teacher and there is no pastor and there is no preacher on earth today that has the authority of the apostles of the first century. What was the requirement of the apostle of the first century, by the way? They had to see Jesus. They have to have been there. You understand that? Okay. That's already disqualifying everybody that is here today. Not to mention the fact that everything they lean on is all signs and wonders and not necessarily anything else. They don't teach. And, and, and I tell you another thing. It leads, it leads you to run back to the law. Why? Because it seems like, oh, now Jewish people from Jerusalem are back at the authority. And so everything they say that we have doesn't matter if it's biblical or not biblical. And now a lot of those Jewish believers are enjoying that new power. And, you know, somebody told me, um, we don't want you to come to South Korea. And then I asked why. And he said, well, because we have very bad experience with Jewish believers from Israel coming to South Korea. They started convincing the church that they must go back to the law and keep the Sabbath and keep this and keep that. And, and, and pastors were so helpless. And they decided we're no longer invite anyone from Israel. That's it. Enough is enough. We have to be very careful not to fall into that going back to the law. But when you make some of them now, at the status of the first century apostles, put a crown on their head and drink every word that comes out of their mouth. The next thing is, you're going to run back to the things Jesus told us to run away from. And so we have to be very careful. Tell me, you got a little something to add to that? Just a light caveat on that. I've noticed these super apostles do seem to like to contact you through your DMs on social media. <laughs> and... Uh, Poor guys, obviously, you always seem to need our seed money to do their work. So just block them if that's what happens to you. 
<laughs> any, any thoughts on the end time eschatology of, of this kind of movement where there's a sense of we're doing this, we're bringing Jesus? Yeah, sure, I can speak seriously into that. Uh, Amir mentioned Kingdom Now theology uh, during his talk. So this is what we would refer to as a realized eschatology. It's basically kind of the opposite of what, what we've been uh, talking about here, as in the world's going to get uh, bad and go through these, these tribulation periods that eventually will lead to the kingdom. Theirs is completely the opposite. They're going to take over the institutions of mankind on this world and, and somehow win them for Christ. And through their efforts, they're going to have a kingdom that's ready for them to present to Christ. It's a completely flipped around. I believe it's very anti-biblical. Uh, it's always focused on the people with the power, usually by whether they can do these signs and wonders and miracles. And I would just personally advise to stay well away from it. I've never seen any good fruit from it at all. So they have appearance of spiritual of spirituality, but it's not of God. It's not from God. This is very dangerous. It's a big movement and it's gaining more and more power because people want to believe that we can change the world. And that's what the world is trying to t teach you. And by the way, that's part of what big, big, massive churches in America with motivational speaking uh, pastors uh, tell people. Think positive, everything will be positive. You will make everybody around you positive and the world will become positive. No, the world is negative. And you can think positive by sharing the gospel. That's it. That's the positive you need to think and pray for the people to get saved. But this world, last time I checked, last time I read my Bible, is not going the right direction at all. It will be so bad that we will actually have to be taken out of the way in order for God to finally, you know, unleash his uh, judgment here. And so, do I want the world to be better? Of course I do. Will it be better? One day it will, but it's only when Christ will come back. Not before, and when Christ comes back, he's not coming back for us. He's coming back with us to this world. You see, the rapture is, is, is for him to come halfway. We're going to meet him in the clouds. We are not going to have anything to do with Jesus here on earth when he first arrives to take us. You understand that? The meeting place is designated. It's the clouds. This is the first time that it is in the clouds, not on the clouds. When he will return to earth, he will come on the clouds and we will be riding those white horses right behind him. And in the second coming of Jesus to this earth, you better see his back and not his face. Amen. You better ride <laughs> behind him and not be consumed by him. So interesting, in light of what we were just talking about, what you just said there, I mean, that, that kind of end times eschatology of we're going to bring Jesus back, right? He went to prepare a place for us, Hello? not we're preparing a place for him. But it also tells us in Daniel, doesn't it, that, that it's, it's a stone that's cut without man's hands. Jesus is the one who's going to bring the peace that passes, you know, that, that's going to rule and reign in that peace, not man making a place for God. You know, one, one maybe last question for you, Amir, and just I think maybe this is more, you know, geared to you, but Mike, obviously having lived many years in Israel as well and, and ministered there, um, there is some, you know, questions people have when, you know, it's talked about that there, there is a bad rap for Christians with Jewish people through the years. There's been a lot of things done in the name, you know, of Jesus or the cross. 
and, and there's, there's some real scars. How would you recommend sharing the gospel? This is something someone was asking with Jewish people okay. in light of all of that. All right. First of all, John, John 3.16 won't work there. Uh, you know, so many very innocent, cute pay, uh, Gentile uh, Christians come and quote New Testament as if the Jews believe in it. They don't. It's not for them. They don't believe it's their book. So quoting something from a book that they don't believe is theirs, that actually reject, won't help. If you really want to be able to uh, minister to Jewish people, study your Old Testament very well and be ready to co confront them with an open Old Testament and not confront in a negative way, but in the positive way. You need to show them why you love Israel. You need to show them why you believe that Jesus, uh, you know, is the Messiah. But, but to, to, you know, John 3.16 is nice, but, but Isaiah 53 is way more powerful for a Jewish ear than John 3.16. Um, I was led to the Lord without reading a single verse in the New Testament as a Jew. But Isaiah was enough for me. And by the way, Isaiah was enough for the Ethiopian eunuch as well. Um, one, one scroll of one book was enough for him to want to be baptized instantly. And so know your Old Testament. You see, I, I, it breaks my heart to see Christians going to church with only the New Testament and the book of Psalms. I, I hope you paid half price because it's only half of the Bible. Um, <laughs> Every time the New Testament quotes the Scripture or tells you that the Scripture says something, they refer to the Old Testament. You need to know your Old Testament. The Old Testament is not invalid. It is what Jesus actually used to prove His Messiahship, His Lordship. What do you think He shared with the two people on the road to Emmaus? John? Luke? Matthew? No, He shared... He, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he expounded all the scriptures that talked about him. So that's what you need to know. Know your Old Testament and also don't come with the attitude of, I know what you don't know. You know, uh, come with the attitude of, I love you and let me tell you why. I, I, I support you. Look, our automatic inclination as Jews in Israel in 2022 is to be hated, not to be loved. We, we, we think that, you know, if somebody loves us, he must be out of his mind. Because you should hate us, don't you? I mean, the world hates us. The, our neighbors hate us. Our, uh, everyone finds a reason to hate us. And, and, and suddenly you come and you say, no, I don't. I actually love you. And in fact, I love you because my God commands me to support and love you. And let me tell you why and let me tell you where. And when you open scriptures and when you tell them that you're praying for them and that you love them, it, that's, it melts their hearts already. You understand that? Um, and may I also add, it's one thing to kiss from afar and it's another thing to cling on to. It's one thing to be Orpa, it's another thing to be Ruth. Um, and uh, if you can, tell them in person in Israel, and don't just say it from afar. Come over and show your love to those people. Coming to Israel is half the way to their heart already, because that's already a, a 
proclamation and a declaration of your support. And then, of course, whatever you say is already the, the <laughs> cream on top of the cake, or the icing on the cake. But, but coming to Israel is super important. So come and behold Israel. Come and behold Israel. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So the currents, I, so I, I'm a Gentile, I lived in Israel, witnessed I, three times a week I was out go, doing outreach. I, I realized two unswerving facts that I can give to you. One, the currency of conversation will be proportionate to the amount of how much they sense your love. Now, ironically, that's probably true of most human beings, but especially of Jews, when you have all of the history of their persecution from Gentiles to them, they just are very skeptical of anybody coming in, giving them a tract, or opening up the New Testament. It's almost revolting, quite frankly, to them, with a cross around their neck. They feel like they're being uh, killed by a crusader intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. You don't want to do that, do you? No. no. I mean, hello. So. The love that you have for them may take time, but it is the currency of the right for you to evangelize. Then you take what Amiris said, you study Micah chapter 5, the birthplace of Jesus. You study Isaiah 52 and 53. You study Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. You, you memorize Psalm 2. You memorize Psalm 110, and you give them a dilemma transfer. And that's my second point is, if what you say is true, that Jesus couldn't be Messiah, how do you explain this? So your currency is love, and then do some dilemma transfer. And that, that way you enter into these conversations. You can do that through text, you can do that through phone calls, you can do that through FaceTime and video chat. The world has given you the tools to do that more now than ever, and it's up to you to take that option. Tell me, tell me anything to add on that? Okay. You know, as... as well, we need more people like yeah. Tommy in, in, in the UK and in, in the world that yeah. are picking up this uh, fight. The next, the next generation. The next exactly. Generation. He has a, a cross on his back. Uh, a lot of people must not like you for what you <laughs> stand for and say. Thanks. And it's a privilege to be hated for these things, isn't it? Amen. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's just as Mike was sharing that, I, I did have the opportunity uh, while in Israel to read Isaiah 53 to, to a Jewish man who, who wasn't a believer, um, but had spent enough time outside of Israel that he was familiar with the stories of Jesus and everything else. And as I read this to him in, in Isaiah 53, he looked at me and he goes, is, is that talking about Jesus? Because it sure sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, well done. <laughs> yeah. You dropped the mic. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So that is it for us today, time-wise. We have uh, come to a conclusion. The question's been asked um, about, is this going to be, is this recorded? And, and as you have probably noticed, it is being recorded. We weren't able to be live in this theater. There wasn't the online capability, um, so we weren't able to live stream. But there is the you know, ability to show this 
online, so it will be online. We'll have more details about that coming to you. So it, hopefully maybe even show it like a live stream just at a later date. So you can share it with others who, who weren't able to be here with us today. But we're so grateful that you were able to be here to us today. Any last things, guys, you want to say here uh, in the UK, Amir? Uh, lovely that you're here. <laughs> uh, uh, <it> was... <laughs> nice. Uh, we, we really love being here and we, we hope it's, uh, it's not going to be the last, but, uh, uh, you know, we're planning on coming back here. We are going to teach uh, tomorrow at Westminster. That's right. In the um, Tuesday in York, Wednesday in Echad Ministries. That's right. And then on Thursday I'm flying to Sicily uh, for some good pasta, uh, for some uh, uh, <laughs> ministry, excuse me. So... Uh, and we'll be back. I, I, I want to do a Revealing Revelation conference here and over the span of a couple of days to go over the entire book of Revelation with you. 22 hey. chapters. Is there anything? Is there something else? Can't see. Can't see you, so. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm seeing a flashing light over to the right telling us something. Okay. So, let's all stand together. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll pray. And then, and then, yeah. Father, again, we thank you for this time to be together. Such a blessing for brethren to dwell together in unity, yes. Lord. It is so good. It is right for us to be here, and we're just so grateful now for this time we've been able to be together, to be edified, to be encouraged. May we go forth now. In your power, Lord, by the power of your spirit, not our might, not our power, your spirit, Lord. Empower us, equip us, send us forth. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Adonai v'yishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yichuneka. Yisa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you his peace. He is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Peace, who can give you peace now and forever, here and everywhere. His name is Yeshua, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Be safe. Bless you all. Thank you. You've been listening to Theology and Apologetics. This podcast is supported by your generous donations. To help us continue to bring you great content, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash theologyandapologetics. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and remember to connect with us on social media. For more resources, please go to theologyandapologetics.com. Thanks for listening.